Hello and welcome to Horrible Friends Condensed Spoop, a smaller, shorter version of our normal show where we talk about anything in the horror genre, new movies, review new movies, or just anything we want to talk about in general. Uh, starting off, I'm Chris. I'm Mike. And I'm Swayze. And on today's episode, we have Fear Street Part 3. It's uh, it's finally happened. Uh, it's It's been a while since we had any of our Fear Street episodes. Um, if you can't remember, you're not sure what's going on in this one, go ahead and go back and listen to our other episodes. You can find them on Spotify or any of your, you know, wherever the hell you listen to our show. Because um, we're going to try and avoid doing too much recap just to keep it short, sweet, and to the point. Um, so this week we've got Fear Street Part 3 or Fear Street 1666. So right off the bat, how did you guys, before we like get too much into it, just um, what was your like opinion on this one compared to the other ones? Like going into this one, like at, once you started watching it. Well, when I first watched it, I would have put this as number two behind. I would My order would have been Fear Street Part 2, 3, then Part 1. But after rewatching the whole series in preparation for this episode, my new order would be two, one, three. I thought three didn't hold up as well in a second watch. And it was not going to top two because two was my, by far my favorite of the series. So I'm kind of um, in like the same, I'm, I'm in a similar headspace as Mike, but I, I'd put the second part first, then this one, and then the first part, because the first part is a lot of setup. Um, not that the killer isn't cool and that the, you know, after you get all the setup that the movie isn't good. Um, but this one does a lot to explain and answer all those questions that we've had since part one. And I really enjoyed that. Um, I also enjoy that when you do the flashback section, that it feels like the movie, the witch or the village, like it has that creepy um, desolate town kind of feel to it. Uh, like we get to know like these characters that back in this past life. And then um, it shows a glimpse into the fear of what uh, religion can do in an area of people that are uneducated. Cause somebody says, witch, and they're all like, okay, murder. She's a witch. Cause this guy said so. Or just what happens when it's just a village full of people and they're just really bored. Yeah, I agree with the, the village. It did very much feel like the village, but I think the thing that worked against this movie the most was since we saw pretty much all these same actors in part one, uh, part two was pretty distinct. It didn't have the same actors playing different parts, but to me, it felt like it didn't feel like a period movie because we saw all these actors and it just felt like them all playing pretend as olden times people from the 1600s because all their actions were very poor and inconsistent and they would slip in and out of them throughout the whole movie. And it's like, Oh, that's not this new character. That's such and such from part one. The only one that really did a good job with like keeping up the accent was the um, character, Dina's character or the actress that plays Dina. She did, she did very well with keeping like the accent consistent through the Mm -hmm. whole thing. And then the person that actually played Sarah Fears did a good job with like making sure that her, when she recorded her lines that she sounded similar to her so that we we didn't have like a break 
in the um, in the illusion that the story was trying to play. No, I agree. Um, well, actually, I found interesting uh, watching like a, a refresher of this one before we did the episode. They actually they shot this one before they shot part two. It, it, it makes sense because they had all those actors from part one. They just say, hey, stick around. We're going to go out into the woods and play pretend like we're in the 1600s. Yeah, it's pretty much what they did because they had pretty much the entire crew, like cast and crew there. Like they sh- shot part one and then they did part three while they still had everybody there. And then they did part two after that. And an interesting thing about that is, you know, in our episode on part two, we talked about how much we liked like Tommy as a character and as a killer. And the uh, person that that actor plays in this one, like he's just a very kind of drunk, dirty, greasy. He dumb. God, you blew out my ears on that one. He, he's not dumb. He's special. <laughs> I was always told I was special. My bad. He's dumb. He's really dumb. So you're telling me that when people told me I was special, they meant that I was dumb? Mike, the truth hurts, and we're not here to open up those old wounds for you. <laughs> um. Um, but the interesting thing is, like, um, they originally had uh, his character Tommy in part two, like, to be the, like, sack killer. Like, they were going to have, like, him masked, like, a lot earlier on in the movie. And he would have just been a faceless killer. But after the performance he did in this one, the the writer director Lee Janiak said, "Like, no, like he did such a great job. Like, no, we're gonna have to change this because there's no reason for us to like cover his face like so early on." Like, I think it was only she's only like a few pages in to like part two that they already had him masked and covered up. And they're like, "Now, well, we're actually gonna let him like give him a chance to play this different character since he did so great in this one." Yeah, he did do a very good job playing the bad guy and just he was out to get Sarah Fear and just because he hated her and yeah. he turned the whole town against her. That and uh the other one, I can't remember. Um I can't remember the character's name, but he's played by um the actor who played uh Sam's uh Sunnyvale boyfriend in part one, which he pretty much turned on him just because uh during this movie like all the kids are out in like the woods just you know having a good time and eating fermented fruits so they can get a little buzz off it and then he tried to uh force himself uh, no, i never say force himself on um sam's kind of like ancestor in this one that's exactly what it was yeah he and was they, like mm, yeah. come here baby girl and she's like no no, no. vagina and then <laughs> and then sarah fear like you know, she grabbed him and they basically just started poking fun at his boner. And then later on, he's like, yeah, well, they're witches. They, she was all bewitching me with her dancing. And then, you know, they made fun of my penis. You know, they're witches. Bro, he was full masked. <laughs> full masked. My man, you could have put a sail on that bitch and sent him out to sea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could have. Um, so I'm trying to avoid uh, a lot more summarization of the movie this time around as we did in the last one. So still try and keep this separate from the main show. Um, but more or less, like we, this does pick up 
right after part two where we saw uh dina kind of get the flashback and see um everything from sarah fear's point of view and this is basically the whole the first like half to like three quarters of the movie is uh what sarah fear actually went through and the whole tale behind her where shockingly she's not actually a witch that you know the whole town goes against her and her partner uh i think i want to say it was abigail was actually the character's name sarah fear's uh love interest more or less yeah it's the um, she gets captured not sarah fear uh her love interest gets captured by them and then you know sarah fear basically tells her, like you know what uh if they want a witch i'll give them a witch and she goes to try and find this crazy lady out in the woods where they bumped it before where they got the fermented fruit and sarah had saw she had like this crazy witch book but when she finds her she she's dead and this is where we also you, you see um uh sheriff goods uh officer good and sexy his ancestor uh, solomon good during this time and she goes to him to try and hide from all the villagers all the townspeople and then while she's hiding she finds like this underground cave system under his house and this is where we find out that it wasn't a curse of sarah fear and her being a witch it was actually a curse that solomon good created because he lost his family and he stole the witch book from this crazy lady in the woods and he started the curse and basically every few years he would pick someone's name it would get carved into the wall like um like they found in part two and basically like his lineage would just have the best of luck and like great fortune so his thought was just well you know kill a couple people every good few years is is worthy of my family having happiness you know in all actuality all he really had was a death note but it was a wall (laughs) instead of like a notebook and instead of this man getting nothing from it, he got anything he wanted. Yeah, he got everything. Yeah, the thing that I didn't like about the, that whole aspect of it was at the end, Seraphir, when she's getting hung by the town, she makes a whole point to saying to Solomon, like, I'm going to curse you. I'm going to be a shadow following you forever. And that doesn't happen because Solomon and his family and the... Uh, descendants do the sacrifice every couple of years for their own good fortune. So the only thing Seraphia really does is like curses the shady side town. Well, well I think I think what she it was more of just like a, you know, you're gonna have to live the rest of your life knowing like basically knowing what you've done and kind of live in even though yeah you're gonna have good fortune, but just kind of know that you're a sick piece of shit and I'm always going to be watching you for it. And it, yeah, like she wasn't a witch, but and she didn't necessarily curse him, but then she did, she did try and lead people to like her story. Like anyone that like bled on her bones or when they were in contact with her bones, were able to get a glimpse of it, but it wasn't Dina didn't get the full story until she uh, connected Sarah's hand back to her body. Right, and it only took like 300 something years to take down the goods because no one found their well, body. Well, the like in the review that I watched, um, the way the guy put it was that 
the way Sarah was trying to defy the goods was that anytime somebody touched her her bones or her remains in 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 general, um, got a flashback of what happened to her. And because she wasn't actually a witch, it wasn't strong enough to overcome the magic of, you know, the actual black magic that was occurring in the next town over. So, um, no, I mean, it is sense. a little bit of a plot hole, but I do, uh, I do like what they did with it. I will say, as much as, and I meant to say before, but Swayze, I did agree with you, the fact that in this series trilogy i also enjoyed the second one then the third one then the first one um but I, I did really like about this one is that you know after we get to the point of sarah fear getting hanged we go we go back to 1994 and you know everything kind of gets wrapped up very well and at this point is at this point is when um to me he is no longer uh officer good and sexy he's officer evil and sexy that son of a bitch. And this is like the Godfather 2 treatment. You show the what happened way before in the origin story. Like uh, Godfather 2 has the origin of Vito. And then it goes back to uh, Michael like after the events of Godfather 1. So that's where like it gave me that vibe from it. No, that's a good call. Um so, and the way the whole, um, they end up taking down Sheriff Good and breaking the curse is, you know, Dina gets her brother Josh, they steal uh, Sheriff Good's patrol car, they get back to Ziggy, they explain to her, you know, what she saw in the vision and that it's always been the Good family, you know, it wasn't Sarah Fear's curse that brought all this shit onto the, the shady side uh, people. And they they end up constructing this plan. They get back to the mall since that's where. Um... Uh, wait, why did they go back to the mall? That's where they have all the monsters come. And they okay, they, the they use it as like a as like an area to do to make the trap where they like use her blood mixed with the the stuff to put in the squirt guns and shit. That's right. The mall was built on top of all that shit. Yeah, that too. The mall was built on top of the uh, tree where Sarah died. That's right. And I think that's where they got her. They had to go and get her hand there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, take my hand. Take my hand. Take my little hand. <laughs> it's my strong hand. It's my strong hand. Um, I did like, and I, I liked it coming back to the mall and like ending where the trilogy began. I thought that was really cool. Um, I like how they, their whole big plan of them kind of distracting the monsters um, with yes. taking Dana's blood and mixing it with uh, a glow-in-the-dark paint and filling it with super soakers and just kind of making, making a trail. the monsters fight, fight and stuff. It was great. Yeah. And, uh, and getting to see more of like uh, the Milkman killer in this one was really cool. Yeah, this was the, the highlight of the movie for me because throughout this whole series, for the most part, you've only been seeing like little glimpses of certain monsters or certain killers, like the little kid, the creepy little kid from the other movie. But this time you see them all and like in full sight and then they all attack each other and kill each other. But since they are curses, they come right back to life. 
Yeah, like in the first one, you see mainly um, Ryan, uh, Tommy, and Ruby Lane. Uh, in part two, you see the Milkman, and um, it's uh, I think Solomon, right? Not Solomon, um, Cyrus Miller, the, the pastor from 1666, right? I think he's uh, in there. Yeah, because he gouged out all the eyes. Yeah, because he's got like, he's got like the big, like long, uh, like kind of like plague doctor mask on. I think. So dope. Yeah, so dope. Um, but they're able to. Yeah, like Mike said, they get all the monsters end up fighting each other because uh, they've been shot with uh, Dina's blood and glow and dark paint all over them. Uh, they try to get it to attack uh, Officer Good, which I like this because th- there is a moment where, you know, Sheriff Good and Ziggy kind of like they this is the first time they've seen each other probably since, you know, that night back at the camp in the 1978. I don't I don't think it's the first time they've seen each other then. I think it's the first time they've seen each other since she knew the truth. Yeah, because I think they had been having some kind of like, yeah, not a romantic relationship, just a friendly relationship through the years. Like he would check in on her every once in a while to make sure she was doing okay because he still had, you'd clearly tell he still had feelings for her. He just, you know, decided that uh, Satan was the way to go. Hail Satan, free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that we got, uh, we finally get like the callback to what Ziggy, like her master plan in 1978 at the camp when like the the other uh, girl at the camp was bullying her. She was going to have her like basically get, you know, fake blood bat, or I think it was like pig blood all over, oh, she, like she carried. Was carried yeah. yeah. And then she did the same thing, but with Sheriff Good and had him covered in Dina's blood mixed with the paint so the monsters go after him. But of course, like, he gets away, and Dina chases him down. They have this little, little scuffle in the underground cave system. And during their fight, like she gets him to touch the big flesh pulsating heart that the uh, monsters have come out of, and is basically like the, the the physical embodiment of this curse. And he sees all these shady siders that have been killed over all these years. And then he sees Sarah, the actual Sarah Fear, at the end. And then she stabs him in the eye, but it's actually Dina stabbing him in the eye, kills him, and it breaks the curse, and all the monsters just go poof. And so, yeah, that pretty much uh, wraps up the story. The curse gets broken. Everything actually becomes normal and the end of actually seeing some bad shit finally happens to people in Sunnyvale. And, uh, you know, Dean and Sam actually have a, actually get a nice little happy ending. Um, so at this point, before we give our final thoughts on the movie and the series as a whole and give a nice little, little spoopy rating for it, uh, I would like for us to all kind of like pick our favorite scene out of this movie or even if you want to pick a scene out of the other movies and like what you really liked about it. Um, so I'm going to go first. I'm just going to go pick a scene from this movie. That's at least the one I'm, I'm more uh, refreshed with lately. Um, the scene where Cyrus Miller is like the first person to be possessed and go crazy and kill people. <laughs> that shit was 
so well done and so just eerie. Like for anyone, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, you know, obviously this is going to spoil, you know, some things for you, but when Solomon Good says Cyrus Miller's name and he becomes possessed by this, you know, evil, he's, he's the town priest and he locks 12 of the kids of the village in the church and he gouges out all of their eyes, including his own, and all the kids die, and he just has a pile of all of the eyeballs sitting in the middle of the floor as he's still standing at like his pulpit, saying that he now he can see now and see, you know, like the evil. And then Solomon Good, you know, saves the day, quote unquote. By like stabbing him with a pitchfork and killing him, but I like that scene with Cyrus Miller in that church and like just the pile of eyeballs on the floor. I thought was like so cool and so eerie. Like I loved it. So the thing I like about this movie the most, like the scenes of this movie, is how it has parallels to the other movies in the series. Like you were saying with the church scene, how he had all the bodies laid out of the twelve kids from the town he killed. That's similar to in part two, where all the 12 campers are laid out. You have them handing out the blueberries in the woods that are getting the whole kids drunk and like messed up. And it's like a parallel to part one where the girl calls like the, the Percocets blueberries when she's talking to the Sam about, oh, what are you doing with the drugs? And I just like how they have parallels between the movies. I think uh, as far as like favorite scene from this movie, um, it's probably the same scene that um, you were discussing, Chris, because like, that's a great scene, but it's also like, for me, it's tied. I like that scene. And then I like the scene where um, like Sarah's getting chased by Solomon through the underground tunnels. She doesn't know what's going on. Like she just figured out the truth. And she's terrified, she's scared, and he's still like, Don't worry, we can we can make this work, we can be get be together, we can be husband and wife. And then like through the entire movie, he's like, I'm your friend, don't worry. And you can see like how quickly the power just corrupted him and changed him. And he's completely forgot all of his morals and everything that he stood for before because now he's gonna get everything he ever wanted. And um he chops her fucking hand off, which is just brutal, and it was great, and she's you know, made it like a makeshift wrap to try to stop the bleeding while she's trying to escape. And she ends up getting out. And then before she can even tell everybody what's going on, he just kind of pops up and ruins it. Um, the whole flashback for me after like the, the night where they were out in the woods, everything after that, the flashback is great. Like the lead, little lead up to it was a little boring, but then everything after that I enjoyed. Like it showed, you know, the chaos that comes with a small community with low education and a lot of religion. Um, it shows what can happen um, to a small town when a little bit of a hysteria is dropped in. I just love the way that it was done. Um, it was really well done. And seeing 12 kids with their eyes missing in a church is not something easily forgotten. <laughs> nope, not at all. It shit was fucked up. Um, I just remember seeing that and then going, "Oh, 
It's a bunch of their kids are just sitting in church. He's got them like wrapped up or got. Oh no, they're dead. Oh, their eyes are gone. Oh, 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 shit. All right. So with that, um, I'd say let's let's give a nice little uh, spoopy rating to Fear Street Part Three. And for that, uh, our good member of the show, Dan, has popped in to give us our spoopy rating. Dan, what do you have for me? Okay, hey guys, it's me, Dan, popping in. Thanks, Chris, for having me. Uh, so this series has three parts, uh, 1994, 1978, and 1966. So if you add those all together, you get to 5,638. And uh, so 0 through 5,638. What would you give this movie? I'm Dan. <laughs> all right, thanks, Dan. Um, so uh, 5,000, what was that, Dan? 5,000 how much? Uh, 638. All right, 5,638. Well, in that generous, very easily comprehensive spoop meter. um, So Fear Street, it it wasn't necessarily spoopy. I mean, the atmosphere was very well done, especially with it being kind of like during, kind of like the Salem Witch Trials people, the Salem Witch Trials period, and very much of like the Crucible I think the the setting, a lot of tense moments out of it. I think the only real uneasy scene is Cyrus Miller in the church with all the kids and their eyes gouged out. And then a very close second after that is Sarah getting her hand violently cut off. Like not just a simple cut, that shit took a bit to get cut off. Um, Other than that, not that spoopy. So out of 5,638, um, I'll, gi- I'll, I'll give it like a, I'll give it 2,000. I'll give it a 2,000 for, you know, some good unsettling moments. Yeah, I'd have to give it about the same. It did have some eerie moments, but it wasn't like overall scary. Uh, not as scary as part two, obviously, in my opinion. But yeah, about 2,000 because... The end scene at the mall when they were all being like attacked by all the killer monsters from the series that was cool. Two thousand. So as far as like how I feel this one did spoopy or scary wise, um, I think I'll give it like twenty five hundred, like little little under half. Um, I think it does well with the atmosphere in the flashbacks making it feel like um like a creepy village movie um it did really well with that uh i love the aesthetic of showing like the undergrounds and like how everything looked in the in the flashbacks i think it fit really well and it gave you um like a feeling of dread once you started to figure out everything was going on especially the scene where like um uh, sarah's being hunted because they accused her of being a witch like that, I thought felt that was all very well done, but it wasn't scary. It just gave it an unsettling atmosphere. Um, overall, I'd say twenty five hundred for the movie for scary. Um, the mall scene was cool, flashback was cool, but uh, I think the second one was a little bit scarier than this one. Yeah, I agree. No, the second one's definitely scarier than this one. Um, so with that, let's uh, we can use a. Uh, Dan's same lovely uh, kind of spook meter and use it as our kind of overall feeling how we felt about the entire trilogy. Um, 
the after watching them, I I think it's a very good trilogy. I mean, yeah, first one isn't as good as the second one in this one, and like you said, Swayze, it, it had it had a lot of build up that the first one had to do. It had to set up a lot of very you know key story points, and that kind of made it falter a bit there. But I think they did a a really good job cashing in on that with the second one and just the the violence and gore of the second one and you know i know and we i know we talked about to death in that episode but just the homages of like you know the friday the 13th uh aspects in it and kind of and with like kind of like very similar like sleepaway camp like it was very reminiscent of those summer camp slasher movies of the 80s and it was very well done and i thought this one was great it it really wrapped up the trilogy very well you know you got the whole flashback sequence to really know what happened to sarah fear and then you come back to 1994 and i think it wraps it up very well and i mean yeah they do have like the little i guess kind of cliffhanger thing where you see the the witch book in the caves and like there's just a split second frame of someone's hands grabbing it and because i'm sure you know it's netflix and this these movies did very well with them so they're gonna throw a buttload of money at somebody to to do more with these stories but um out of the whole 5638 i'll give this i'll give it a, i'll give it a solid uh 4269 very good would recommend it if you haven't watched them go watch them I have a similar opinion as Chris does. I did like this whole series. They do work well together. I think the biggest thing is the third one is the weakest for me because it can't stand on its own. Uh, part two very much can stand on its own. It's your 80s, 70s uh, camp killer movie. The first one can stand on its own. It's very much like a ton of other 90s slasher movies. Overall, I would give the whole series uh, about 4,000 out of whatever Dan's number was, 5,638. Definitely check it out. Uh, If the first one is not your cup of tea, I would definitely give the second one a chance because that is the stronger of the series. So as far as like um, an overall score for this one, I'm going to give a little bit higher than you guys, not by much, but uh, probably like 4,500. I really love the I really love the series. I think it fits really well. I like that the first one is kind of a setup, um, but it's not so much of a setup. The movie isn't interesting. Uh, it plays, you know, it gives a callback to like those those ninety slasher films that like I grew up with, you know, Scream, and all that. Like it, it has that nostalgic feel to it. And then the second one hits you with like a new wave of nostalgia feeling, like the eighties. Slasher films like Camp Kill, like there's no way that you don't look at that film and think Camp Crystal Lake. Like I know that we each did at one point. We thought of it. Um, even the burlap sack, it like was a, a homage to one of the Jason movies. I can't remember which one it is, but he has like a burlap sack on his head in the movie. So I think it was really well done the way they did all that. The third one, I feel, answers all the questions that we we had um, and kind of wraps this, wraps it up as a whole and. 
I like that they left the cliffhanger so that they can make more because it's it's a series of books that he wrote. So like there's potential for all kinds of other stories. Um like I didn't didn't know this, but the Princess of Darkness or whatever, the person that um her younger brother, Josh, is messaging, um, that's a book series in the Fear Street series. It's very possible that like they could, you know, spin off and make a series based off that, or you know, they could follow up with like one of the other good siblings because the brother's still alive. Um, I'm interested to see what Netflix is going to do with it. I want them to make more of this because I thought it was really good. Um, it's been a while since we've had like a horror movie trilogy that works. Um, and not one of them being really, really weak and just nobody wants to watch it. So yeah, um, 4,500 overall, uh, you should watch it. It's a great series. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks guys. Uh, so that about wraps it up. We finally finished our fear street soccer here on condensed boop after many, know. many months between yeah. <laughs> us now it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> at least a, lives. Yeah, at least a solid month since part two came out. I know it was probably at least like Chris, don't talk about two it. Weeks. Don't, don't talk about it. Don't. I mean what? No, we recorded this right after and it just boy technology is so right. Oh, it's not, totally not gonna be Thanksgiving tomorrow. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. Actually, Travis doesn't edit these. He uh we just hire uh, a hamster spinning in a wheel and he got tired. Poor little guy. Yeah, you know how Santa has elves? We have hamsters. Um, (laughs) Apparently, uh, their lifespan is shorter than we thought. Yeah, who'd have thunk? What, elves' lives? No, hamsters. Oh, okay. Elves are magical. They live forever. Yeah, no, it's okay, Mike. Elves are fine. Uh, But after all that, I'd like to thank Travis Kaiser for doing all of our editing for this and the main show. He does a great job, and we appreciate it. Uh, I'd like to thank Connor McLeod for the artwork and I'd like to thank Andrew Cavanaugh because he did a great job in giving us uh, some new music for this segment. Uh, links to all their information is in the podcast description. You can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, hopefully get a little bit more active on there. Uh, that's my bad. Uh, very difficult to remember to do things like that. Um, but with that, we thank you all for listening. And uh, hey, Mike, what do you say to all the one-handed uh, Seraphirs out there? If any listener out there, stop on by. Get the soup. Get the soup right from the soup tap. <laughs> Chris, don't say that about Dan. That's a little, Chris, that's a little bit too far. Don't say that about Dan. He's not even here to defend himself. But we all know that you're an asshole.